Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Well, guys, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm joined here today by Rachel Hill, who is a thyroid patient advocate. She is the author of the blog, The Invisible Hypothyroidism. Um, she lives with uh, Hashimoto's disease like me, woohoo, <laughs> and um, hypothyroidism. She's also got an amazing book out. Um, if you've got thyroid conditions, this is kind of essential reading. It's called Be Your Own Thyroid Advocate When You're Sick and Tired of Being Sick and Tired, and we'll post the link for it with the episode. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about all things thyroid. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to have someone on who is going to talk about those things too, because um, it's been a while in the making to get um, someone on the show who uh, is an advocate, who's as aware of you know this the stuff that I'm living with as I am, and you know, so I'm just very glad to have met someone else in the chronic illness fam who. <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, and there's so many people out there with thyroid conditions, but we don't really talk about it, so. Um... You yep. suddenly realize all these people are out there um, when you start talking about it that you didn't realize beforehand. So it's good to good to raise awareness. So true. Um, and that was something that really happened when I got sick and it was sort of the the birth of this, this podcast. So it's kind of perfect that we've connected. Um, so Rachel, why don't we start off if you could tell us how you first found out you were sick, what symptoms you were experiencing and um, what steps you took to take control of your health. Yeah, so um, symptoms of Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism began for me when I was 16 years old. So um, I caught swine flu. Uh, you might remember it was on the news. Everyone was going a bit crazy about it. Um, I had that too. Yeah, yeah. Loads of us seem to have caught these, you know, crazy viruses and strains of flu. Um, and I had that for a couple of weeks, I think. Uh, I was 16. Even after it passed, I still had these aches and pains in my legs. I was quite tired. Um, you know, went back to the doctors a few times and I was told it was just a, a lingering effect of having this this flu. Um, you know, it, it persisted over years and years. By the time I was then uh, 18, I caught another strain of flu um, that after being at home with it for about five or six days, I ended up severely dehydrated and hallucinating, ended up in hospital. Um, I raised the, the thing again then that, you know, my immune system was always from that point of getting the first flu at 16 quite 
quite faulty um, and that I was still having these aches and pains and acne and irregular periods and migraines um, and they still just didn't really have any questions for me. Um, whilst I was in hospital with that second lot of you know crazy flu, um, they couldn't really get that under control or figure out what was going on with that, either, with that either so I eventually ended up in intensive care with pneumonia um, and when I eventually come out of the hospital it's like my health had you know my bad health had just been sped up and um, I've been fast-tracked onto the path of Hashimoto's essentially mm-hmm. um, I lost about 80% of my hair and um, as well as the acne you know I had contact dermatitis and eczema and other skin complaints for the first time ever I lost a lot of weight and then my weight would fluctuate going up and down quite a bit you know changing dress sizes here and there um I just had all these mounting complaints over the years as, as well as you know the migraines the period issues acid reflux um random bloating just everything you know from the tip of my head to the tip of my toes um just yeah. symptoms from every part of my body um, and then I eventually got diagnosed at 21 I think I was almost 22 um and so it was about five years or so of just repeatedly going back and complaining of all these, what I thought were separate symptoms and issues um, that actually formed this big, you know, thyroid picture wow. <laughs> that we eventually found out. Um, and although those five years felt really long for me, um, I'm aware that other people put up with this for like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before they eventually get a diagnosis. So mm-hmm. that is... That is, you know, part of why I like to raise awareness and talk about it and talk about the symptoms and that sort of thing. Um, because like we touched on at the beginning, it's so common, but people don't talk about it. So true. Um, so what steps did you take to control your health once you had a diagnosis? And, and tell us, because obviously you're on a different health system with the NHS in the UK. So yes. I'm interested to hear um, whether that journey, you know, affected uh, your access to various medications and, and what that whole journey was like for you. So I was uh, originally started on levothyroxine, which is a T4 only drug. Um, I was started on that uh, for about six months and my symptoms just got worse and worse as time went on. I kept going back to the doctors. They were telling me my levels were fine. They were normal. At this point, they were only really checking TSH and sometimes free T4, which you know, as we'll probably talk about later, um, can be part of the issue with getting your thyroid condition um, optimised. But um, yeah, after six months of essentially, like like I kind of touched on previously, my health just kind of fast-tracked. It was getting worse and worse and worse, but really quickly. And so those six months for me felt like a lifetime. During that time, I, you know, was only, my working pattern had gone down to me attending like one day Oh, um, one day a week at work other days I was bed bound my my now husband at the time my boyfriend was having to help me up and down the stairs at home you know go to go to the toilet to get dressed and shower I was I was practically disabled as a 21 year old um and that was really really scary um so despite doctors telling me that I was fine on the levo and that you know I was normal and I was optimally treated I just kind of knew inside that that wasn't the case and that there was definitely something wrong and I was sure it was still problem um, I started talking to other thyroid patients in the community so you know Facebook Instagram Twitter online forums and um, thyroid charities various places uh, and yeah I just started learning about other medication options that I had no idea existed and I think a lot of us have no idea and um, we often don't get given the option of what treatment would like to go on to at diagnosis and this is especially true here in the UK those T4 only meds like levothyroxine synthroid gold standard 
And, you know, fortunately, they do work for a lot of people, but there are a good chunk of us that they don't work for. And so after researching into these other options like uh, synthetic T3 and NDT, which is natural desiccated thyroid medication, I, I decided that NDT just made the most sense to me and that I wanted to try that. Um, I went back to my GP, stood on the NHS a few more times. I tried a few different GPs as well at the surgery and getting it out. So unfortunately, I started self-sourcing it, which is what I still do. Um, at this moment in time, I am looking into uh, private doctors, in particular functional doctors and that sort of thing, um, to see if I can obtain a private prescription. Um, but although I'm a thyroid advocate and this this is you know this is my job this is what I do day in day out and I don't feel very fortunate to be able to do this I am still like many other thyroid patients in that you know the cost to obtain the cost to obtain a private prescription is probably you know still out of my reach um, and so this is just one of the ongoing battles that many of us thyroid patients are uh, struggling with at the moment and especially here in the UK because um, other than T4 other medication just isn't isn't routinely prescribed and it's, it's getting harder and harder. Mm, I mean, I'll say in comparison here in the U S you know, we had very similar experiences uh, in that people didn't believe us for, for a while in the beginning. Um, And um, in terms of access to combo therapy, which is what I ended up on the T3, T4 combo um, that was something that, you know, I couldn't get through most uh, traditional Western doctors or endocrinologists. And I had to end up going to an integrative health specialist in order to um, even have that suggested to me, you know, which at the time when I was like a baby Hashimoto's patient, um, you know, I sort of had no idea until someone said, let's get you on combo therapy. And it made a huge difference. But it's, it's amazing to me, um, the lack of compassion on the side of, you know, the medical world, unless you get into, you know, the functional and integrative world, um, you know, that, that we do have people who look at us and say, we don't believe you, or you don't need to be on that, or you're fine just because your numbers are fine, but it doesn't mean that your body's absorbing, um, what you need to absorb. And yeah, so it's, it's really, it's frustrating on, on both sides of, of the ocean from what it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's um, I hear from a lot of thyroid patients that just find it difficult to get medical professionals to believe them, or you know they hear these these phrases like it's all in your head, or you just need to let go, you just need to get over it. You're hypochondriac, you're imagining it. Loads of us have heard those kind of phrases, and that is just it's not just unhelpful, but it's detrimental as well because it, it often worsens the mental state that a lot of us are already in when we're struggling. Um, and yeah, it just completely disempowers people and we should be empowering each other. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, that we're sort of taken for granted in the medical system that these thyroid disorders can actually physically take a huge toll on you, which then of course takes a a mental toll as well, but like that you were having to get your, your now husband to, to help you up and down the stairs. And, you know, I had to stop working. You were working one day a week. I had to stop working. Um, because for me, it was mainly fatigue. I was also getting muscle cramping, but that if left untreated, we become disabled. And if we're treated, we can function. Um, And sometimes even just getting to the right treatment, as you've said, with sourcing your NDT can be such a long road. Um, And in terms of self-sourcing, one of the things you do mention in your blog that we should bring up is that self-sourcing, not always the safest option. If you can get something through a doctor, yeah, (laughs) if you can get your NDT through a doctor or combo therapy through a doctor, that's always the way to go. Because when you're self-sourcing, you can't control the 
the, the quality of the product as easily. But um, I mean, this is what you've had to do yeah, in order yeah. to survive. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't come out, it doesn't come without its risks and its and its dangers. And um, for me, especially, it was really important to go to my NHS GP and essentially say to them, if you're not going to support me in this, this is the route I'm going to take. And I at least made them aware. And when I took this medication into their office, um, this GP, who I thankfully still see now, and I hope he never leaves the practice because it's been a hard time trying to find someone with understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, he now knows that, you know, what to look for when we run my blood tests, how to manage me on this medication, because we've had a few years of knowing where we like my results to sit and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's important to uh, advocate for yourself and become an active participant in your own healthcare. Um, yeah, if, if, if you are going to go down that route of self-sourcing, which we have to really stress it is risky and can be dangerous and is no means ideal, um, at least make your, your primary healthcare provider aware of what you're doing doing and you know work with them and even in letting them know what your intentions might be that might even give them a further nudge to you know look that one last time into possibly prescribing it for you if they see how serious you are about it as well so yeah always keep always keep your doctors in the loop of what what's going on yeah absolutely um and um one of the things that that also just sort of came up is that you were talking about um, the different tests that your doctor runs. And yeah. I was wondering if you could also quickly um, walk us through what the essential tests are. If you're having some kind of thyroid disorder, what are the tests that you need to get done in order to find out, um, you know, where your levels need to be and how to function properly? Yeah. So um, a standard TSH tends to be run on its own. Um, I think that happens most often here in the UK on certain really often over in the US as well as well as other parts of the world and um, unfortunately that does just that is just one part of the thyroid um full thyroid panel the other tests as well as TSH are free T3 free T4 uh, thyroid peroxidase antibodies and thyroglobulin antibodies and then you also have a uh, reverse T3 which is really good to test as well um, that one is still quite hard to obtain a lot of the time through your physician or doctor um, the 3T3 and 3T4, they measure your actual thyroid hormone levels. So they're super important to have done and to monitor. Um, with TSH, that stands for thyroid stimulating hormone, and that is produced by the pituitary gland, pituitary gland, which actually sits in your head, in your brain, and that talks to your thyroid gland to tell it how much hormone to produce or to even take its foot off the gas and produce a little less if you have an overactive thyroid gland. Um, whilst TSH can give an idea of what's going on with our thyroid hormone levels, you're not really going to know for sure unless you actually taste, test the thyroid hormone levels. So that is 3T3 and 3T4. And then the other two, um, besides reverse T3, the other two, uh, TPOAB and TGAB, they are uh, your thyroid antibody levels and they test for Hashimoto's, which a lot of us with uh, hypothyroidism also have Hashimoto's. A lot with Hashimoto's also have hypothyroidism, but you can have either or without the other as well. So, you know, it's, it's good to test as many of those as possible every time you test. Um, and that just helps when you're tracking symptoms and how you feel, you know, then looking at your test results and logging them against that and being able to look back over past results to compare where your health has been and, and perhaps where you want to get it back to again. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will find if they do get their um, antibodies tested, um, I I think you had a similar experience to me as well, that like when we had them finally tested, our numbers were like off the charts, you know, like in the thousands, which doesn't exist on the chart, (laughs) you know, and you eventually find um, that you need to be within a certain range, which is much lower than that. Um, And, uh, you know, 
for, for different people, it takes different things to bring these antibodies down. For me, it was LDN. Um, low dose naltrexone. Um, but of course there are other alternatives to, to bring those numbers down as well. But, um, you know, that's really when it comes to Hashimoto's in particular, getting those antibodies down is what's going to get your thyroid functioning properly and bring you into remission. So, yes. So one of the things you also mentioned was about, uh, your, your now husband, you know, helping you out, um, with physical tasks that you couldn't complete when you were really sick. And aside from, of course, becoming your own advocate, I was wondering whether at any point in the journey to diagnosis and treatment, you had to rely on anyone else to be your advocate, um, and how that affected your relationship with them. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was definitely Adam right through. Um, I'd say once I was diagnosed, because before diagnosis we neither of us really knew what was going on and although I was going back and forth to the doctors a lot um you know we weren't really involved in this kind of thyroid well whirlwind as we are now um but once I got that diagnosis um and we finally had a reason for it I was on the lirothyroxine that wasn't really helping and at that point um I had to start leaning on Adam to come with me to doctor's appointments to um you know provide that support in the office I think a lot of people can feel a bit intimidated by medical professionals and doctors, um, especially if you hear those phrases of, you know, you're a hypochondriac, it's all in your head, or but those kind of really harmful messages. Um, it can help to have someone there in the room with you for support. Um, and so Adam would come with me to a lot of um, a lot of medical appointments, whether that was with the GP or endocrinologist or then the functional medicine practitioner, which I started seeing later on. Um, that was really helpful so that I almost felt more empowered would do and um, say everything that I wanted to because I had that support behind me I had someone you know cheering me on a cheerleader if you want in the office with me but yeah. he was also able to bring things up that I'd forgotten you know, if I had a long list of symptoms or things that I wanted to talk about but I was feeling brain fogged and fatigued from a thyroid condition and um, it was really good to have Adam there to say oh what about this thing well you wanted to talk about this and then also to provide that um that alternate viewpoint as well so Although it shouldn't be this way, um, a lot of the time, if you, if as a woman, if you take a, a male friend or family member or someone important to you into medical appointments, they will often take you more seriously. And it yeah. shouldn't take it shouldn't take having to take someone else with you, especially a male, or to get that validation. But unfortunately, that's just the way it is a lot of the time. And so, um, it was it was amazing how much more I felt how much more positively I felt the appointment went and how much we seemed to progress after the appointments when I took Adam with me because it wasn't just me turning around and saying, you know, I feel really fatigued every day. I can't get up and down the stairs. I'm falling behind on housework. There was also Adam to say, yeah, when I get in from work, she's, she's asleep on the sofa at like 6 p.m. housework, you know, or that he had to start going to uh, grocery shopping on his own because I, I was just, you know, crashed out asleep every yeah. year. He was able to provide that validation, but also an alternative perspective. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's so frustrating, as you say, to like bring a, a have to bring a male in to, to be taken seriously as a woman. I, I personally have brought my mother with me um, to appointments, but I, I, I'm now wondering, gee, I wonder if it would have been different if I'd brought my dad and if we would have figured it out <laughs> 10 times faster, you know? <laughs> yeah. And in terms of bringing Adam to your appointments, how has that affected your relationship? Has it strengthened your relationship or has it made you question your, you know, your self-validation as a woman in the world? How has that looked for you? Um. As as with all of this, it's it's just strengthened us, yeah. And I think at the moment we're writing a book together, which will be out in a few months' time, um, and that is essentially about the ways that 
you know, using your thyroid condition to actually strengthen your relationship, whether it is with, mm-hmm. um, you know, a romantic partner or a spouse, or that's with mo- your mom, your dad, a sibling, a friend. Um, I think it's really important to try and view an experience that can be quite negative and definitely life changing and try and turn it into something more positive. So um, I feel really lucky that I've that I've got someone in the form of Adam who is so understanding and he's really keen to see how he can get involved and how he can best support me as well. Um, I think it, there was definitely some teething issues and it took us a while to get to that point and for him to fully understand what my health conditions meant as well. Um, I don't know if you're aware of the spoon theory, which a lot of people use in the chronic illness community, but... Yeah. Um, I remember when I shared the spoon theory analogy with him, there was this light bulb that went on and he just suddenly kind of realised how my energy levels worked and how all these other symptoms could impact me from day to day. Um, And so there's, you know, tools like that that we can use to make people around us more aware of how they can help us. Um, But also to, yeah, strengthen those relationships and um, use use an experience like this to um, deepen the connections we have with people. I mean, we've learned so much as a couple and we've experienced so much that especially as a young couple in our early twenties, um, we wouldn't usually experience a lot of the time. We felt like an elderly couple with the stuff that we were experiencing. But um, yeah, I mean, it's made us mature. Definitely. We're definitely more mature than other people our age. Um, but it, it is what it is. And it, it helps us to make who we are today. So um, yeah, you've just kind of got to grasp these situations and just look at how you can move forward with them really. Yeah. And it's just so wonderful to hear that it has strengthened your relationship and that you are, because I knew you were writing a second book. Um, and it's great to hear that you're writing it with Adam, because I didn't know that. So that's really exciting. And, you know, this is, we're going to talk about your book in a little bit, but it is the guide that I was saying I wish I had when I had first gotten sick, because it really gives you um, a perspective on on these chronic illnesses without by with but with removing a lot of the heavy science stuff like even though the science is in there um yes. you know and sort of understanding medications and how your thyroid works you know but just really understanding like what steps you need to take that was the real thing like i can get a book that helps me understand how this is all working but i need someone to tell me what the playbook is now for getting better and that's exactly what your book is is aimed at doing so um so in terms of uh when you were sick and versus now, now that yeah. you're on the NDT, what was a typical day like for you back then versus now? Oh, wow. Um, quite long ago now. It's, it's always strange to look back and think about how ill I was. Um, yeah, I mean, when I was really ill, so either just before I was diagnosed or even when I was undiagnosed, even when I was diagnosed on olivothyroxine, um, I woke up in the morning for work, you know, half six, seven a.m., something like that, and I felt more tired than when I went to bed the day before, uh, which always really confused me. And that was one of the concerning things as time went on. Um, I felt like I was dragging myself through every day, like I just had this fatigue weighing my body down um, that I didn't really have a good reason for. I was going to bed quite early, um, getting loads of sleep. I could sleep for fourteen hours and still feel really, really tired seemed to go by in a haze so I'd be sat at my desk um you know an email but I could read an email 10 times and just the brain fog and fatigue wasn't letting it sink in I still couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do with it I would answer the phone and I'd be like oh um good morning um you know I'd forgotten my greeting of what we were supposed to say in the office whenever yeah. someone would call um I was 
getting work muddled up. I'd, I just had this moment of thinking like, oh my God, I am, I am really ill because if I'm doing things like this, what else could I be doing that could be dangerous? You know, putting other people at risk of getting things wrong at work and getting into trouble. And that just, yeah, really shocked me and opened my eyes. And um, I remember as well on a separate day, um, but it was a, a weekend, a Saturday morning or something like that. I'd gotten out of bed probably like 9am, felt really tired and achy, but thought, no, I'm, I'm going to push on through and I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something productive today. Um, and I think I'd, I think I'd like put some uh, laundry in the washing machine. I'd had some food. I'd watched some things on Netflix. And then I got to this, um, this point halfway through the day at like 12 o'clock and I just, this, this kind of, this wave of blankness just hit me and I thought, oh my God, it's 12 o'clock. What have I done today? I don't, I don't remember getting out of bed. I, it, it was, it was just bizarre. It was like, I was worried I had early onset dementia and that was the reality of like day-to-day life. I was fatigued. I was, um, you know, brain fogged. My weight was going up and down. My skin was going crazy. My face was hollowed out, you know, really white, big bags under my eyes. I just looked ill um, and I think a, a lot of therapy patients although we say it's an invisible illness they do have these this kind of look about them they just look they just look ill and like they're having to drag themselves through day to day and that that is what we're having to do essentially <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah um before getting my my health on track it was really rough day to day every day felt like a year <laughs> yeah yeah you feel kind of like a ghost in in like the shell yeah. of who you used to like be you live in a half-life yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it just does feel that way. But but then, you know, when you do get better and you start to get your health back, and that's where sort of I am now, still sort of continuing to be in remission, you start to be like, oh, I can get through a whole day or oh, I can remember this thing. And, and it's yeah. like a gift when you can function regularly. And, you know, you sort of realize that you took a lot of that stuff for granted, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely I think good health is taken for granted until it's taken away from us I think that's just the reality of most people that get diagnosed with a chronic health condition yeah absolutely now how do you balance the demands of work and life I mean you know before I know it was a lot harder because you were dealing with fatigue and and brain fog and and muscle cramping and pain you know um and when we say brain fog guys like I just want to be really clear and you know people in the chronic illness community understand but like brain fog is different from forgetfulness. It's different from fatigue. Like it is its own thing. It is that, that total, that feeling that you're losing control and that you could be, you know, having early set onset dementia or Alzheimer's or something. Um, so, so how, how do you balance those demands? How did you do it then? <laughs> I suppose then it was harder to do it. And now yeah. that you're working, you know, in this advocacy space, but also being aware of your own health and your needs. Yeah, I think for all of us, it is a balance. And I think that balance uh, varies from person to person. So we've got to find out what works for us. When my health was really bad, um, like I say, I was in work like one day a week, maybe maybe three days a week on, on, a, on a good week. Um, luckily, my employer was really understanding. I worked for a small charity. So um, it was quite a quite a nice workforce and office to be in. Um, and when I wasn't in, other people would pull together to cover my workload. And I felt really thankful for that. Um, if I was anywhere else, I, I honestly probably would have lost my job or would have had to have been signed off sick for quite a while. Um, that was something that my GP wanted me to do at one point and, you know, be signed off from like two weeks up to a few months. But I was quite stubborn in that I, I, I guess I didn't want my thyroid condition to take anything else away from me because it had already affected my home life and my social life and other things so much. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, that was really hard. Um, these days I, you know, I work for myself entirely. So my third advocacy work is what I do full time. And I feel really grateful to be able to do that. It is what I'm passionate about, but it also gives me that flexibility. Um, so I generally do about 20 hours a week. Um, I give myself set days and hours to do that, just like any other job. But if I'm having a, a flare up day, um, or if my health has taken a bit of a, a nosedive or, you know, for example, I'm gluten free um, to manage my Hashimoto's. So if I get glutened at a restaurant or something like that, as anyone else who avoids gluten will know, that can really knock you out for a few days oh. as well. So um, it's, it's good to have this flexibility, um, which I'm really lucky to be able to have with what I do now. Um, back when I was um, still employed with someone else and my health was you know, in a good place as well, um, I went from a full-time job down to part-time because, again, that's just what I figured out that my body tends to like doing and is a good balance for me physically and mentally as well. Um, but I also stuck to you know more office jobs and I would adapt my surroundings in the way that I would steer clear of drafty or cold areas. I would keep a hot water bottle and a blanket under my desk just in mm. case I needed it. Um, I'd make a point to stay hydrated all day, avoid caffeine. I've been caffeine-free for a good few years now. Mm. Um, to have high-protein snacks in my desk at all times. So just little things like that can help you to you know, get through work that little bit easier. Um, but I think the main things for most people, if they're struggling with maintaining in, in work and they have a thyroid condition or any chronic illness, really would be to consider the type of work that you're doing, but also how many hours and what days and where those hours fall as well. I know for a lot of people, shift work can be quite taxing on the body. Yeah. And I used to work in a care home as a care assistant nurse and I did, you know, 12 hour shifts and that just drove my, my health backwards. So for me, yeah, switching to like more of an office um, environment and figuring out what hours my body was happy to do and at what pace that was really important as well. So I appreciate not everyone is, um, is as lucky to be able to work for themselves and, um, you know, being able to plan their own times and their own days. But um, if you can find ways to optimise your workspace or your work situation for you, um, then that can go a long way in, in helping manage your thyroid condition overall. I mean, we spend so much time at work and it's an important part to consider. Absolutely. That's really good advice. This episode is sponsored by Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com invisible. That's E-M-B-R labs.com and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. So, I mean, I know we sort of touched on this earlier when you were telling us about the, the early stages of your, your journey to diagnosis, um, but do you have any anecdotes that you can share with us about um, being confronted and forced to justify what was going on with you, um, whether to a medical provider or to a coworker or, or you know, anyone else in your life? Um. I think I've been quite lucky in that I haven't faced that situation an awful lot. Um, I think a while ago, again, when my health was still fairly bad or definitely a bit more up and down than it is these days, um, I struggled a lot 
when I used to work for someone else using trans- daily, you know, public transport every morning and after work as well. And I would struggle with, um, you know, obtaining a seat, especially a priority yeah. seat. And um, there was, actually, and this is quite a good anecdote. We should be clear when you say that you struggled for a seat. It's not because necessarily <laughs> you, you can't stand, but it's actually because you're so tired. Sometimes you just need to yes. rest your bones and, and the fatigue and everything sort of adds up. And if you're having muscle cramping, that doesn't help. But it's usually the fatigue that for patients like us, we end up needing the seat. Yeah. And I think for me, whether or not I you know got to sit down on that 25 minute um, tram journey to work and 25 minute back each day. Whether I got to sit down, that made the difference to, you know, how much other energy I had to spend at work that day or whether I would have energy to um, do a bit of cleaning or cook dinner in the evening. So, again, going back to the idea of the spoon theory, um, being able to conserve as much energy or just like be wise with how you spend your energy can be quite important when you're still, you know, getting your health more under control. And so, um, yeah, there was this one morning where I, I really struggled to get to the tram stop. Um, I shouldn't have really left the house at all, but I was determined to get to work. I was feeling really hot and sweaty and faint and dizzy and my legs felt like they were going to give way, but I was adamant to get to work. I did the 40 minute walk, 50 minute walk to the tram stop. Um, I prayed that there would be a seat when I got on the tram. Um, luckily, I was starting work a little bit later that day. So the tram was pretty much empty when I got on. So I got on, I sat straight into a priority seat, um, which for anyone who doesn't know, um, and in the UK anyway, priority seats are essentially reserved for people who are less able to stand. So that could be uh, someone who's pregnant, elderly, health, have a health condition, uh, if they're using crutches, it, it can be sort of any of those things really. So um, I grabbed a priority seat more so because it was just right near the door and I just kind of collapsed into it um, because I was feeling so unwell. Um, and at the next stop, um, a couple got on who were probably about sort of 65 to 70. Um, and even though I was sat in one priority seat of a row of like three or four, um, the woman came up to me and said, you're not a priority. That's our seat. And she basically told me to get out the seat, even though there were two next to me that they could sit in. So she was clearly just you know, making a point um, as if to defend the need why she was more entitled to a seat over me. Um, and I just kind of froze um, and I felt really panicked and I guess attacked looking back. Um, but yeah, I, I just got really sort of emotional inside and I wanted to say something to her. Um, but I couldn't just because I was shocked more than anything. Um, like I said, there was plenty of seats on the tram, more priority seats next to me. There was no reason for her to say it other than to make a point. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, sort of five or 10 more minutes passed. And then again, she, um, she basically, as she'd chosen to sit on seats opposite me in the end, um, she basically pointed to me and said, you're not a priority. You shouldn't be in that seat. Again, she had to make that point <laughs> just to let me know that I should have been in that seat. Um, and luckily I was getting off the tram on the next stop anyway to go to work, but it, it did upset me for the rest of the day. And it inspired um, a couple of blog posts that I wrote about, but basically not, um, not trying to judge whether someone is entitled to something like that, because, you know, there are various reasons why someone could need that seat or would hugely benefit from using it and you can't always tell just by looking at someone I I might look like a fit and healthy regular 25 year old but what's going on inside my body is quite different um, and that can differ day to day so yeah I mean yeah when you first asked me the question I haven't really thought of that but that's actually probably quite a good example of someone yeah. judging it it's frustrating too because it's it's like you know obviously she and her husband or you know partner had had the need for those seats you know but to really like 
make a point of it and, and point at you and say, you're not a priority. I mean, that's just a nasty thing to say to anyone, but you're not the yeah. first person who's been on the show who's looks young and fit and, and healthy and able, who's had an experience, you know, with either priority seating or like we've had other people on the show talk about, um, you know, disabled parking badges and things like that, you know, well, and, yeah. and get judged by people. Yeah. You know, it, it just sort of, and get called out for stuff. And, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people want to say something, but in the heat of the moment, you get sort of verklempt and, also, you sort of wonder, like, you don't expect it either. No. And, and also, you know, like, if you're not expecting that kind of almost violent attack on you, you also have to think, like, are these people even going to be open to listening to the alternative here and, and the, the real reason? Um, yeah. Or have they just already made up their minds? And, and that kind of small-mindedness can be really frustrating, particularly in in this chronic invisible illness community, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you, you've got to decide whether it's worth the energy of taking those battles on as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that it's happened been... about a year ago now, but looking back, it still does annoy me a little bit. But um, yeah, if that, I've, I've almost like gone over my head a few times since the sort of response that I would give now if that was to happen again. But even now, if I get on a tram or any public transport and it's quite busy and I grab a seat, it can be really detrimental to make those kind of assumptions. Yeah. And I know in the UK, um, we had a, another young person on the show, um, Jamisha Prescott, um, a, a few weeks ago. And one of the things she mentioned was that, you know, Transport for London, at least, have started this like blue badge system where you can wear a badge that says, you know, if you could please offer me a seat, that would be really helpful. Yes. Um, but I don't know if that applies sort of across transport all across the UK or if it's just a London based initiative, you know, but something like that is a really smart thing. And actually you even have badges for sale in your shop that say not all illnesses are, are visible, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> to at least give people the tip off. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, unfortunately those, those blue badges are only resident to London at the moment. Um, but okay. that is something that I, I wrote to basically the local um, transport people in the city that I live in. Um, and I did ask if they would consider implementing something like that. Mm. Um, I think we need a lot more people shouting and, and asking for it. But um, yeah, I mean, if you ever find yourself in that kind of situation, make these people aware and then maybe we can make it that bit easier for us in future by implementing change. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that your experience has turned into advocacy on a larger scale. Why don't you tell us a bit about your current book, Be Your Own Thyroid Advocate, and a little bit more about the book that you're writing with Adam right now as well? Yes. So um, Be Your Own Thyroid Advocate uh, came out in November last year, so about six months ago now. Um, That is um, essentially a recounting of my own story of, um, you know, having symptoms, getting a diagnosis of a third condition um, and then getting my health back on track. So um, I often talk about um, treating thyroid disease, Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism in particular, as piecing together a big thyroid jigsaw puzzle. Mm. Um, so the, this puzzle could puzzle pieces, whether that is um, you know, finding the right medication, uh, looking at your gut health, uh, nutrition, food sensitivities, supplements, vitamin levels, all of these things. Um, and they can differ from person to person. So in my book, uh, Be Your Thyroid Advocate, I recount those pieces um, that I needed to slot in, um, as well as many of those other um, pieces, interventions that other people need to as well. But the idea was to uh, put it in quite an, an easy to read and digest. I know for me, when I was quite new to the thyroid world and I just had my diagnosis, I 
wanted to read all these books, but I found it quite hard to digest them. Um, they were quite sciencey based and um, quite heavy on the jargon. A lot of them are written by doctors and medical professionals. And, you know, that is great. And um, we can certainly learn a lot from them. And they're probably the best people to be writing these kind of books. But um, because they have that kind of background, for those of us who are thyroid patients who you know are tired and brain fogged and that sort of thing it can be really hard to absorb and digest and know what to do with that information I think I was often reading a book and thinking that was a great read but what what am I now going to take from it or implement from it and so I guess um through my blog as well and then my book just kind of being another offset of that I wanted to make information for thyroid patients more easy to understand and to just kind of know straight away right this is what I can now do with that information to get myself better so um yeah my book um is a fairly quick read um for that reason I don't want to overwhelm people especially if they're quite new to understanding their thyroid condition mm. um and it also includes a lot of motivational and uplifting passages and chapters as well and um, just because a lot of us also struggle with mental health or you know, feeling quite bogged down and um struggling to find hope I guess or right at the end of the tunnel a lot of the time when you're is that affected by chronic illness that your work life social life you know, everything is affected you can go through this grieving process and feel as if you're never you're never going to get to live life properly again or that something's been taken away from you and it's you know part of my mission to reassure people that you can thrive with thyroid disease you can live a really good quality life you don't have to be dragging yourself through every day or you know missing work or coming home coming home early from those social events you can enjoy yourself and so yeah, I, I want to reinstate that hope in people as well and empower other people to embrace advocating for themselves. Yeah, um, so absolutely. yeah, so that's that was my first book. And then, um, book two, which I'm working on with Adam, as you already said, uh, that's going to be called Uni and Hypothyroidism. Um, and that is essentially for our loved ones. So uh, parents, siblings, friends, um, you know, romantic relationships. And that is going to be written for them to help them understand what hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's is, what they can do to support us, and then also have some information in there to support them as well. And um, so I'm writing that with Adam so that I can deliver the sort of their patient's point of view, and then he delivers that loved one's point of view, and he can share the things that he's learned on this journey that have helped him, and then you know also helped me in our relationship as a whole as well. So yeah, we're really excited about that at the moment moment and that's due out on the first of august so um we're just finishing that up now <laughs> so it's coming around really quickly that is it's really quick i can't <laughs> wait for it to come out and to to check it out because that is such an uh, essential tool isn't it you know yeah. providing that support for our loved ones especially because we it's hard for us to provide that support for them but they obviously need it if they're supporting us you know but um, when we're yeah. tired and sick and, you know, chronically ill, it can be hard for us to provide that. So to give tools to our loved ones is, is such a wonderful thing that you're doing for them. Um, so that I'm really excited about that. I think that's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And August is very close. <laughs> not, not long now until that one comes out as well. It's not, but, um, yeah, I mean, we wanted to fill that gap in that there's just no other resource or material out there for our loved ones um and adam's already wrote a couple of blogs for my website and i've got a specific section for blogs that are written for our loved ones and those kinds of people um but yeah there's not there's not a book or anything out there that's dedicated to that subsection of people so yeah we wanted to deliver that because i, I get asked often um where to refer people's husbands or wives or 
you know, siblings or friends um, when they're looking for support themselves, but also further guidance. So, yeah, we're hoping it will deliver what a lot of people are asking for. That's really lovely. And this is all stemmed from you starting a blog, which was really just an outlet for you to to write down what was going on with you in, in the early stages of, of diagnosis, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was diagnosed in the June or July, I think, of 2015. Um, and I started blogging around December time. So it was when I uh, first started the NDT medication. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just... I logged on once a week and wrote this almost like journal entry of what I'd experienced in that mm-hmm. past week. And you know, that was feeling quite helpful that things would pick up. Um, and it wasn't until about three months later that I then decided to um, publish everything that I'd written to be public because before that I was just writing on this, you know, private WordPress account that wasn't actually shared with anyone. It was just, it was just a bit of therapy to process everything that I was experiencing. And then once I published it, um, almost on a whim, just to kind of see if anyone else would find it useful. Um, yeah, all this really positive feedback came back from people saying that it was nice to know someone else was experiencing the same thing, that they felt validated and understood. Um, and then besides just blogging about my own journey, my own thyroid experiences, um, I started writing other articles about mental health or informational articles, informational articles based on science and latest research as well. Um, and and answering a lot of the topics that people were asking me to cover so it's just kind of snowballed from there really um but yeah we're like three and a half years in now um and there's there's a lot of content on there um if people want to check it out and um, for your physical and mental health when you have a thyroid condition so yeah it's just yeah. always growing I'm always happy to see how else I can develop in my thyroid advocacy work yeah and obviously we'll link to your blog as well on uh, on the episode page and um to you've also created communities because of this and um you know your own Facebook group and everything so we'll link to all of that so everyone can can check it out um and you can join Rachel's community which is really supportive um and just so excellent not only for patients but also for loved ones and and our advocates so um one of the things yes, we definitely. we started touching on yeah one of the things we started touching on earlier on was your experience in the healthcare system in the UK which is of course the NHS um and we've yes. had a few british guests on at this point so so our listeners should be familiar with sort of you know how the NHS works in comparison to the US system um, of private health insurance company. So um, in what way did you find that the NHS has worked for you? And in what ways has it not worked for you? What have been the positives and negatives of, of that particular health system as you've been striving to, you know, get diagnosed and treated? Yeah, um, I think as with most things, there are pros and cons. Um, the NHS, you know, just to make clear, the NHS is brilliant we're really lucky to have it and it works well for a lot of health conditions and a lot of concerns Um, I just think unfortunately for thyroid conditions it does let a lot of people down Um, I know for me in terms of um, eventually getting diagnosed I'd gone back and forth for years and years but it wasn't until that you know five or six year mark that someone actually thought to test me for it that was quite frustrating just because I had so many symptoms Um, I think thyroid screening should be done more regularly across the board, across the world, but definitely on the NHS. Um, I see a lot of people around me or in my life that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain, you know, you could have a thyroid condition that should be tested for. Um, but it's just not a routine thing here. Um, you know, yeah. the people will get their, um, their iron and their ferritin count done. It's quite standard if you go and complain of being tired or even vitamin D and things like that. But considering thyroid disease is so common, 
I, mean, I think it's like one in 20 people in the UK have one, but I think as many as 60% of people are diagnosed. That is a lot of people, and yet we don't screen it um, as, you know, as standard. So, yeah, I mean, that's, mm. that's definitely something that can be improved upon and that is quite frustrating when it often takes us so long to get diagnosed. Um, admittedly, even though I was essentially diagnosed with borderline hypothyroidism at the time of diagnosis, um, a lot of other people um, are withheld medication for quite a bit longer until their, um, you know, their levels get worse. I do feel quite fortunate that the, the doctor basically asked me to wait three months. I was retested. They got slightly worse, but because I was feeling so ill, I was started on medication despite being borderline. Um, so over here on the range that I was using the TSH, normal TSH was like 0.5 to 10 and I was like 9.8. So um, mm. I was, you know, very close to top of the range. So technically still normal by some standards, but I was feeling really ill. So um, I, I do feel thankful that I was at least started on medication at the time of being borderline hypothyroid because a lot of people, you know, are asked to wait years and years and years or they're forever borderline and they're never started on medication to see if it helps. So I'm thankful for that. So then again, I hit another brick wall and one of the major frustrations over here is the, you know, the non-option of other thyroid medication options. So um, the patients getting T3 or NDT medications, um, it's nigh on impossible and it's really difficult. And even for those who have been prescribed them, particularly the synthetic T3, um, a lot of that is being withdrawn at the moment. So there's um, a lot of campaigns and a dossier that's been formed um, for, you know, among those of us in the UK, the thyroid advocates, the charities and other organisations trying to fight that right to get people back on their T3 medications or even just to make them more widely available. Um, but yeah, here in the UK, it's it's incredibly difficult. And they can be prescribed on a what they call a named patient basis. But essentially what that means is that they're not uh, regulated or approved over here and so the doctor who's prescribing them takes responsibility for them and they have to provide from what I understand quite a bit of evidence as to why they're prescribing something that isn't approved um right and so yeah I mean there's a lot of extra hoops for doctors to jump through and so you can kind of understand from their point of view why it might be easier to not go down that route um but as with everything, we, sh- we should be treated as individuals that we are. And if, if your doctor cares about you enough, you would think that they would be willing to explore whatever it takes to get you, get your health sorted and get you feeling fit and healthy again. So, yeah, I mean, there are, yeah. there are definitely ways that I feel I've had it easier than other third patients. But then, you know, there are ways it's definitely been really hard as well. And from other third patients, not just in the UK, but worldwide, there are a lot of the same um, kind of issues or complaints, whether it's the testing, diagnosis, medication, you know, any of it. And um, we seem to have a lot of the same issues wherever we are. Yeah. I mean, I think the main thing that, that I see here in the U S is very similar. I mean, most importantly that, that this system here in the U S and the NHS are not really preventive care systems. You know, it's like we treat you when you're sick, you know, um, and that certainly restricts access to certain medications, right? Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, the lack of understanding with the testing that like a lot of doctors will just as standard, as you've said earlier, just test your TSH, but they won't test much more than that, which yeah. is really no way to get a picture of what's going on. Um, I mean, certainly you and I are lucky now because we know that we have these disorders, which can also be genetic, right? So 
you know, it's something that like, if you have children, we can say, make sure you're getting that tested. Um, and it's funny because my mother has, um, hypothyroidism, not Hashimoto's, but hypothyroidism. So I was always getting my thyroid tested. All they were ever testing was the TSH, you know, um, which, uh-huh wasn't enough. And when I got really sick, didn't explain the whole picture. So it's really, that's where this, this advocacy and learning to be your own advocate and learning what tests you need to get taken. Um, because this is such a common occurrence, um, and not just among women, but also among men, you know, that like need to be getting this stuff tested. Um, and yeah, I mean, it would be great if there were a way for us to continue to to fight and make it standard that like when you go for a regular GP's checkup, you know, that you're getting your free T3, your reverse T3, your free T4, getting all of it tested, you know, um, given the, the, the occurrence of these illnesses. But um, yeah, it can be very frustrating. Um, if, I mean, obviously improvement is needed in both of these systems. Are, are there any direct ways that you can see that you know, you could affect change in the NHS, particularly with some of these advocacy groups you're working with? Yeah, I mean, there's power in numbers, right? So if as many third advocates, charities and organisations can team up as possible and form things like these documents or campaigns or, you know, get as many other third patients on board um, and collect, um, you know, they, we've, we've gone through a thing where we've collected quite a lot of stories and performed documents um, in that way. And, um, yeah, if we can get people to keep screaming and shouting together, eventually we'll be heard. And we are being heard. There are There is movement. Things are getting better slowly. Um, more recently, a lot of people have felt like, you know, we've done one step forward and two steps back, but we've just got to keep on pushing with it. Um, and yeah, just shouting together and, and seeing what we can do as a, as a force instead of trying to do things um, individually. But luckily, that is what everyone is already doing doing um and if you're a third patient in the uk and you're wondering how you can get involved then if you look at the itt facebook group um you can join there and you can get involved um with various sort of ways of helping to drive this campaign forward um but yeah i mean it's it's happening it's slow um at the moment most of the focus is on the t3 medication so leothyronine uh, which has been withdrawn for a lot of patients um, mm. after that has been improved we're then looking at the ndt issue which will be a lot harder because it's that bit more controversial. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've we've got to do it because that, that is part of improving uh, thyroid patients' lives and advocating for others as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that sort of leads me into the next question, which is about how important it is to, to keep talking about invisible illnesses and how do we keep awareness alive um, aside from, you know, checking into these communities that are uh, campaigning for change within the medical system, um, you know, what other resources would you, would you suggest to listeners in order to, to keep the discussion going? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, whether you have your favorite social media accounts or you follow their, their blogs or their books, or you contribute into these communities of Facebook pages or groups, you share your story, you talk to other people, um, you know, you speak to those around you as well. So not just within the thyroid community, but your friends and family, your co-workers, make them aware of what it is that you experience, um, what a good day versus a bad day is um, is like for you, what they can do to support you or help around you. Um, yeah, it's just important to keep sharing these experiences, um, whether, you know, you don't have to be like me, for 
example, where I'm quite happy uh, being very open and sharing a lot of the details of my personal experiences online. I know not everyone is that comfortable, but you can share articles that you find particularly good in raising awareness. You can pass a book on to a friend to help raise awareness around the topic. Um, anything you can do, raising money for a thyroid charity. There are various ways that we can you know, help spread awareness and um, advocate for ourselves and encourage others in this thyroid community or just chronic illness community in general um, encourage each other to advocate and speak up about it. Um, we need to normalise this a lot more. I think a lot of people aren't aware of the signs or symptoms of thyroid conditions in particular, um, let alone what kind of tests and things they should be getting done. But the more we speak about it, then the more good that can be done, right? I think yeah. keeping quiet isn't really going to do anything. So, um, yeah, whichever way, whichever way is comfortable for you to talk about that topic, um, it just just dig into that and become part of this thyroid community, which is so so passionate. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you're right. It really is a passionate community, isn't it? Um, I think because so many of us have been sort of brushed under the rug um, that when we find each other, we sort of want to scream it from the rooftop. So we are quite a passionate community indeed. Um, and there is a lot of support out there um, and it's becoming more and more available. And, you know, if you're able to find resources through Rachel's blog as well, um, obviously we'll post links and everything and um, hopefully you can find support that way. So um, we've covered so much today, Rachel, and um, I like to wrap up my interviews with some top three lists. And uh, I was wondering what your top three tips would be for someone who looks like they might be perhaps on the cusp of entering this world of invisible illness or Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. Um, what would you suggest that they, they do to, to keep their head about them? Um, I think one of the things you need to avoid doing is Googling your symptoms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely quickly overwhelm you. Um, and it almost always leads you back to cancer, which is not where you want to be. Nope. Um, I think if you think you're on the, the cusp or, you know, whether it's a thyroid condition or any other possible health condition, if you think that something isn't quite right, um, you know, first of all, book an appointment with your doctor. Um, second thing you can do in preparation for that is to prepare a list, a list of your symptoms or your concerns, the things that you feel aren't quite right. That can be the second thing you do that you take along to your doctor's appointment. Um, and essentially to um open up to those around you if there's ways that they can support you i know a lot of people go to the go to the doctor with certain symptoms they might get tested for something that comes back negative and it's almost like that's that's the end of that it you know that that third step that you can do is to learn to advocate for yourself in pushing for a second opinion or um, you know suggesting other possible things to look into with your doctor and i think whether it's a third condition or not that you might have if you've got these you know various symptoms that could vary from fatigue to depression or aches and pains or hair loss um yeah keep going until you get an answer and until you're satisfied with that answer as well I think I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that far too many of us are sick and tired for too long um and that it takes too long to finally get that diagnosis and then get our health back on track so yeah if you can you know put your foot down in trying to get to issue sooner then you'll hopefully get your health back on track sooner but that essentially starts with you making that doctor's appointment and tuning into your body and actually figuring out what it is that is making you feel a little off center so you get right your symptoms and things down definitely and that's also about recognizing that that you're the one who knows your body better than anyone else and if someone's telling you that you're fine and you know you're not trust you which is huge isn't it (laughs) yeah exactly yeah i'll know your body better 
Exactly. Well, I, I had a guest on here ages ago say, you're the CEO of you, which really made sense to me. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, that's right. I am the CEO of this, this body politic or, you know. Um, so yeah, no, that's, it's really helpful advice. Um, and obviously you've had to make lifestyle adjustments because of, you know, your diagnosis and, and trying to, sort of minimize symptoms and manage all of that. So in terms of, you know, adjustments you've made to your lifestyle, do you have any, like, this is another top three list, right? Do you have any cheats or guilty pleasures or, or sort of secret indulgences that just give you great pleasure, um, and, and make you really happy and, uh, you know, are, are great, even if you're having a flare up or something where, you know, you have something that you can turn to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely adore baths, bubble baths, uh, foot soaks, mm. things like that. Um, if I'm having a flare-up day in particular, it's the first thing I'll do. I'll get myself out of bed and get myself in a bath. And that generally just not only relaxes me and the aches and pains and helps the fatigue and like the heaviness and the tightness that you can feel mm. sometimes, um, but it also puts me in, in a better mental space. So if I'm at a point where I'm feeling maybe a bit demotivated or feeling a bit low, because I know that, you know, progress is not always linear so we can often bumps and go up and down and before we get to a better place as well um, so yeah so things like bubble baths um, feed my soul um, good food um, in the past that would have meant things like chocolate and cheesecake and crisps and everything that was bad for me um, in the last year or two I'm quite a bit about sort of diet and nutrition and so um, uh, Asian food Thai and Vietnamese food in particular um, again feeds my soul and is not necessarily a guilty pleasure because I don't think it's it's really unhealthy food it's actually quite healthy for you um yeah. but yeah kind of indulging in that ordering a takeaway maybe um with Adam and just kind of enjoying all of that is definitely mm. another one um and I think with most people sticking on your favorite tv show for me that's friends which I know mm. is for a lot of people just something that kind of takes my mind off things um that just makes me smile and lets me forget about my own world for a while yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's really gorgeous. What I've let people have a certain TV show or, or film that takes them back. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely have ones that I turn to and, and I think we all have our favorites for sure. Um, and Rachel, we've sort of come to the end things of things here. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? I mean, certainly please tell the listeners how to find you online. Yeah, um, so my website is just theinvisiblehypothyroidism.com. But if you put the invisible hypothyroidism to Google, um, you'll definitely find me. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram in particular. So I have a Facebook page, but I also run a Facebook group. That's called The Thyroid Family. We've got 50,000 people in there now. So Sorry, say the, say the name of that one again. Of the thyroid page. It's called The Thyroid Family, and that's right. on Facebook. Um, right. So if you're looking to reach out to other thyroid patients and just kind of vent or chat about things or discuss what has, what has helped other people sort their life and their, their health out and get that back on track as well, then that could be a really good option. Um, obviously, there's uh, my book, You're a Thyroid Advocate, with my next one, You Mean Hypothyroidism, coming out in a couple of months' time, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it might already be out. Yep. Um, and I've got my newsletter that goes out every couple of weeks as well. And um, you can sign up for that through my website with um, sort of thyroid related news, blogs, if there's other competitions or um, offers with online you know, testing or supplements, things like that. 
and there's all sorts of stuff in that that kind of gives you a boost um, every couple of weeks in yeah just kind of advocating and, and understanding your, your thyroid health so yeah there are various ways that you can get in touch with me and reach out obviously I can't offer things like medical advice or interpret your test results I do get that quite often yeah feel free to reach out um, to the thyroid community like I say there's a lot of us yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today all the way from the UK. <laughs> um, we're, we're so glad to have had you on the show and I can't wait for this episode to come out and for people to learn more about these conditions because this is the whole reason I started this podcast. So <laughs> um, I'm just so glad to have had you on and to have connected with you and um, can't wait to hear more when the new book is out. So thank you so much for being on the show and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.